Hello and welcome to Facing the Crowd podcast, episode seven. And I'm here with Hobo. Hello. And I'm here with Nicky Nalpon. Yo. From Death Skulls and Nasty Bastard. Um, is he still using the Skullmobile or is that? <laughs> That's in the Scrap Heaven Heaven now. Scrap Heaven <laughs> Heaven, that's okay. So we're going to be talking to uh, a legend of the punk, Crystal Punk scene, Chris Boobs Neil from Disorder. Um, and we're going to get into him about all things Disorder, what he's been up to and what it was like way back then in the 80s. You might know we're called Facing the Crowd podcast and the reason we're called that is because we started the podcast just talking about first gigs and different shows we've been to, what it felt right. like being there and things like that. So what I wanted to ask you was, what was the first live band you ever saw? Oh, the first live band, I think it was Hawkwind. Ah, <laughs> Hawkwind. Hawkwind like keep popping up. I, I think it was. The first band that I ever saw live was probably Hawkwind 1974. Right. I saw them in Bristol Colston Hall. And I remember just being completely blown away by, by Hawkwind thinking, fucking hell, this is absolutely amazing. And we were certainly, I remember because I, I used to, I quite liked smoking joints those days. And I, it was like, oh, I was sort of 14. I used to like sort of like trying to get out of it, but I couldn't quite know how to, I didn't have the, the contact, the, the contacts to be able to get stoned and everything. And I remember going to this gig in Hawkwind and there were these guys sat next to them. They were smoking joints like Blakeman and they were just passing us joints. And I was getting, they were completely fucking hammered. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> And I remember just like thinking, fucking hell, this is brilliant. And that, that was probably the f- yeah, first gig that I ever really hawkwind in Bristol Colston Hall about 1974, something like that. I wow. think I was yeah. like 14, 15. Uh, it's probably the first gig that I ever went to. Mm. Uh, really yeah. Is that, that Bristol, the, the band still play down there? Do you know? Does anyone know? Yeah, Sorry? I wondered if bands still played down there in that venue. If it's still there, but I don't know. Oh, uh, what Bristol Coston Hall? Well, I think they've actually—I think they've changed it nowadays because you can't call something Colston because Colston was a—he was like a, a slave trader or something like that. Oh right. right. So, so I think you—I think he's probably. It's actually been changed now, and it's some other thing. I don't know. Oh. You know, I don't. That sort of political correctness, you know. Yeah, yeah. The first um, show you played as a musician. I never played Colston Hall as a musician. No, unfortunately, no. Um, I mean, the. I think the biggest gig that I ever played as a musician was. Um, in Italy, in an anarchist festival that was um, in Bologna. I think it was about 3,000 people there or something like that. Oh, like, uh, yeah, I think that was like the, probably the, the biggest, the biggest festival that I ever played as actually uh, like a musician, as a playing musician. Like that. Um, and also probably a, I don't think I ever went to anything that was bigger than that as a paying 
as a like a paying punter, right? Mm. So I would say, and um, yeah, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we um, we were playing, and there was like at the front of the stage, there was these like sort of proper not you know Nazi well fascists. They would have called them. They would have called themselves because they're Italians. Fascist skinheads who were like sort of the front and you know posturing, saying that yeah we're we're not in agreement with you because you are an anarchist punk band and we are fascists and we're all posturing and they uh, funny enough they were all wearing sort of like you know um you know English sort of like tennis shirts and yeah. Like, stuff like that anyway so we're playing this gig and suddenly i'm thinking fucking hell suddenly there's no bass and i'm thinking where is the bass player and he's like and he's like in the front of the stage he's swinging his bass round, fucking battering all these like <laughs> nazi fucking italians and they're and they're all ganging so i jump off the stage as well and i'm swinging around my fucking i got a mic amp and with a like a stand and everything and i'm swinging my mic stand around banging so we fuck up all these like fucking spanish italian fucking nazi cunts it was a great gig it was one of our best it was our mess most what i remember as being one of our most classic gigs right? it was fucking great yeah. is that like a, a whole like a three-day festival like or just you know like the, it was uh, they've got so much bigger since the 80s haven't they festivals are, are like massive commodity aren't they yeah that was, that was just like a the whole weekend more like a like squat type fest yeah this was a this was a this was a complete festival that was in a squat and uh I mean, we lived in, when we were in Italy, we went to Italy in 1983, I think it was, 82, 83. We went to Italy, we were in Milan. Oh, you did? And you didn't stay like, at, um, Milan in 1982 was fucking, it was fucking hardcore. I mean, you know, you, you didn't want to fuck with, like, you, you know, the Nazis in fucking Milan, because they were hard. You, um, Chris, they were hard. That squat in um, Milan, El Paso. Yeah, exactly. That's where we lived. That's where we lived. <laughs> oh my God. That's exactly where we, we, yeah, we lived in. We lived in that place for like three months. Yeah, I Exactly. Like, that is exactly the there. place where we were at. And we used to drink this wine called Frizzantino. I and mean, we used to go to this bar and um, there'd be like a sort of, there'd be like a, this like, uh, um, you know, this fucking like square, and we'll be like drinking this wine, and people will be like literally sucking up the fucking sucking up the water in their syringes, but inject the heroin into their arms. We go, What the <laughs> fuck? What the fuck? You know, and we'll be drinking, uh, it was mad, it was mad. Italy was fucking mad. Yeah, in the 1980s, Italy was mad. There was a there was a band called Wretched, 
yeah who came to bristol and they were you know and they were you know they were fucking they were, they were sound they were really good guys mario i think his name was was a singer and then there was his brother who played the bass i don't remember what his name was but they were like you know they were how many bands? Was, how many bands um, would have would have played that festival over the weekend? Then was there was there a lot of you or a lot of bands on the like, bill? There was like I think on that gig there was like three thousand people at that gig. I don't know if you could do that nowadays. It was just like mad. It was like nineteen eighty. It was like yeah. mad. That's sea the, of people. Sea of people. Everybody just say. like going going mad. And, well, and, Chris, the first ever time you, you was a vocalist for a band, your first ever performance, can you remember it? Where, where was it? Where did you first grab the mic and play your yeah. first, you know, ever live gig yeah. yourself? Yeah, I don't know. That's, a, that's an interesting question. I, I, I probably, I don't, I mean, I remember, I remember having to go for an audition with Disorder. I'd come out of prison. I was like, uh, because I was, I was always in and out of prison. I was like a juvenile, what they call a juvenile delinquent. Right. So I was like always in and out of prison all the time. And I came out of, and I came out of like a, what they call detention center, which was like, it was supposed to be the, the, the short shot shock. That's what they, that's what Margaret Thatcher called it. It was like, it was supposed to like, you know, us young people who were, off the rails, it was supposed to sort of like sort us out and get us back on the right track. And so anyway, I came out of detention centre. I'd done like three months of detention centre, me and my mate Kev. And we came out of detention centre and Disorder didn't have a singer because Steve, it was like, he was the original singer. He left. Uh, so there was no singer. There was no singer from disorder and they said oh do you want to come and do an interview you know come and do a like a, an audition to be the the singer for disorder i said well you know but i don't know how to sing <laughs> you know they said well, it doesn't matter you're a yeah you've been in prison so that that's enough <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can you can be in disorder because you've been in prison. So I said, well, okay, then well, okay, well, I'll just turn up and I'll fucking sh and I just shouted into a microphone. They said, right, okay, you've got the job. <laughs> so you know, from 1982 until 1987 when I left the band, well, I was like the singer, you know. I don't think it was. I don't think it was anything. You know, I don't think it was any merit on my part, or you know, I just think I don't know. I don't know. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. You know? so I was um, talking to Nick earlier. We were saying uh, how long you've been in it, and we can remember. So it was eighty-two to eighty-seven. That's when yeah. you were in the band. Because um, Steve Allen, the disorder guitarist, he yeah. he refers to. The era that you was in the band as the golden era of that was yeah. the, you know the 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 you know the, the greatest lineup that's what he yeah. refers to it as so, so <laughs> how does that make you feel that he he says that that's that was the golden era the, 
your time in the school because they're still going now aren't they and um, obviously he's not even yeah. been for 10 years wasn't he so yeah no yeah no, memories obviously yeah when yeah when obviously steve allen was in we were that that was the golden lineup of course it was you know there was like you know there was me uh steve allen um taff who was the bass player and virus was a drummer that was the yeah you know, that was the that was the, of course it was that was the golden era of disorder yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah totally totally tough carries it on now, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair play, you know, I don't, yeah, fair play, you know, I don't, that, that's good. You know, I think anything that Taft does is good. Yeah, totally. There was a, your, the video that Cherry Red did on, uh, that's on YouTube, of the life, the, the, the performance in the pub, the, there's a comment by someone underneath that because you can have the comments on YouTube and someone's actually said they want to live in that video. Um, so, you know, what do you think that must have been the best sort of uh, captured piece of film from that era? And so that actually makes someone want to live in it. It's just amazing, isn't it, when you watch that? It's, so, it's just so damn real, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, that was the, I think it was the George Roby or, something like that we, we we played quite a lot in london at that time 1983 1984 uh, and we played in george roby and i think that was the yeah i think that was the george roby and yeah i don't really remember but i re i know the video you mean yeah. and it was it was a yeah it was fucking great gigs i mean we used to play they were, I just remember them just being absolutely amazing and just like being blown away by, because I always remember just thinking, well, we're just, uh, you know, just a silly little punk group. We don't really have much to say and just like being absolutely blown away by the, by the response that we'd have in some group. I mean, yeah, we'd go and, and there'd be like 300 people like and they'd all know the song and they'd all know the lyrics and they'd like it was like quite amazing and we'd like what the hell yeah, because in in the early 80s bristol had a really good like sort of punk scene going didn't it like all the bands vice squad yeah, yeah exactly yeah that. i mean there was yeah, you're right. I mean, at that time, there was like Vice Squad. There was, I mean, before even like us, I mean, there was the, the Cortinas, there was the Review, there were like, you know, Taff, who was the bass player in Disorder. He was, he was in like some bands that were like from 1977. He was a bit older than us. So, you know, he played the bass in like, you know, in, in bands from, from Bristol for the 1970s, the Cortinas. And if you look at the Cortinas, I mean, that's classic Bristol 1977 group. But then there were groups, there was the pop group, um, which were like, yeah, the pop group was like, sort of, they were, yeah, and the Gang of Four. There was like amazing groups around in Bristol at that time. And plus, like you also, Bristol had the um, that record label, Riot City Records, that put a lot of the second wave punk bands out. 
Well, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, you, you're right, you're right. That is, but there was, there was a lot of contention there, you see, because we weren't ever in Riot City Records. Riot City Records was a thing that was started by a guy called, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, oh, I don't remember his name now. Riot, Riot City Records was started, and, and we produced our first record on Riot City Records. But we got ripped off completely. So then we decided to start Disorder Records. Yeah. Um, and we started Disorder Records because there was a, there was a, like a hippie shop that used to do the distribution in Hill, uh, a place called, well, in Park Row in Bristol. And they, they were like sort of hippies, bunch of hippies. And they did all the distribution. So we went to them directly and we said, look, you know, our, our first record sold 11,000 copies. So we went to the hippies and we said, look, you know, if we, if we give you exclusive rights in distribution, will you pay for our next record? So that's when like Disorder Records actually started. The hippies paid for, a, for us to go to, to the studio. We went to the Cave Studio in Bristol and they paid for that. And then they had exclusive distribution rights. But the first record was, yeah, was Riot City Records. Riot City Records was Simon Edwards, which was, it was terrible. They were just like, you just used to rip off people. They did Riot Squad, that Riot, no, what were they called? Vice Squad or something. Some yeah. band with Becky. Chaos UK came out that as well, didn't they? Hey? Like the early Chaos UK come out. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Chaos UK, uh, Vice Squad, they were all like under Simon Edwards, Riot City Records. So we, we fucked them off very quickly <laughs> and started like Disorder Records, like, because we just didn't want, yeah, exactly. You're right. You know, uh, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just wanted to fucking rip us off. <laughs> Yeah, because most of the uh, classic disorder stuff come out on your own label, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Good. That's when we did Mental Disorder, uh, and then the 12 inch, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but we did a 12 inch disc, uh, and that was all on Disorder Records. That was all paid for by the as all yeah, all the recording studio time was paid for by the hippies, and we just like produced the record, and then they would distribute it, and we get the money directly. That's it was great. A good deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it was brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and we got loads of money <laughs> suddenly, like because <laughs> we were missing out on the fucking yeah. You know, on the on like the middleman, yeah, EMI or you know all these like record labels that were making loads of money out of groups. Yeah, just taking oh. taking the cut. <laughs> what have you been doing, Chris? Um, well, I've been doing lots of things. I mean, you know, I've been playing the trumpet. I've been playing the bass. I've been I played the bass in a with a, like a singer songwriter for a lot of years. Double bass. I played the double bass. Uh, for a lot of years with a singer-songwriter, a guy from Cadiz, who was like singer-songwriter. Then I was involved a lot of years with a, with like a, a school, like a squat. It, it was like a, we squatted a building 
and we'd like sort of do um like sort of like classes for like kids in the in the squatter building so like you know from like working class kids we'd like say right okay this is music you know do a why don't you learn the music and then you can like do what you want so we start off like with music like structure like music like you know and then yeah and then they could do what the fuck they wanted afterwards teaching the basics yeah exactly so we were like teaching them the basics chord structures melody harmony all that sort of stuff like you know and then and then they could do what the fuck they wanted after that um so we're doing that in a in a squatted like situation yeah. Uh, and then I was playing the trumpet in a band called The Love Hearts. Um, what sort of like, music? What sort of style of music today? It was sort of pop. It was pop music, basically. Pop, pop music, music, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there still um, much of a squat scene sort of going on out in Spain? Or yeah, I mean there is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is a there is a squat scene going at here in Spain. Yeah, yeah, because I know like whenever I was in punk bands touring Europe, it was always whatever country it was always the main places you was playing was like squats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, Madrid is like you know it's 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 a very you know it's quite a, a squat scene. Yeah. Yeah, because I know like Disorder used to play like the Blitz in Oslo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how do you know that? Because well, I've been out to Norway a few times as well. And I know, like, didn't Taff like live out there for a while or something? Then what? I thought, um, like, because we went on tour with Disorder in the early 2000s. I remember talking to Taff, and he said he lived out in Norway in Oslo for, for, for a few years. And like, with previous bands I've been in, I've been out to the Blitz and that in Oslo. Uh, I think it's a great <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. you're right. No, no. Uh, uh, Oslo, I think, was a was a very influential place for disorder in at those times. You know, and I mean, we st- we I mean, we met up with Norwegian bands in Germany. We were doing a tour of Germany. Svart Framted, I think, was one of them, and. And then we played a few gigs with them, and they said, "Why don't you come back to to Norway?" And we went to we went to Norway. We ended up living in Norway basically for quite a few years. Yeah, and Norwegian punk was like it was pretty good. We did a and we did a live album with um, I think with Disorder and Svart Framted, which was. Uh, which was a shared live album, and uh, yeah, I mean they were they were great. I mean we used to, they they were brilliant musicians and absolutely fantastic at doing their art, and their art was being angry with everything and everybody. And what about the Norwegian doing that, Chris? What about the Norwegian sort of black metal and? Um, your heavy metal Norwegian bands, did you come across any of those? All the corpse playing, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> did, you, did you come across those? Do you ever on the same bill no. as any of those bands? No, no, uh, they weren't. No. They I, was, 
we were just into punk rock and you know they were punk rockers as well i mean there that i think in norway there's there's a dark side i think in but i think that's in scandinavia in general there's a you know in scandinavia there's a there's a there is a dark side the dark so yeah but yeah yeah because like yeah. bands like Disorder discharge massive in Scandinavia because they love all the, the D beat thrashy stuff. So in the nineties, the likes of Offspring, Green Day in America and worldwide sold millions yeah. and millions of albums on the back of you know being punk bands. Obviously, you guys yeah. were playing and selling records. What and you you guys invented punk. What do you think about that? What do you think about it going full circle to the point where they're, they're selling millions of albums? <laughs> Could you ever believe that? <laughs> Playing their form of punk? Nothing. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think anything about it. No, I don't, you know, what the fuck, you know, how, how can I compare myself to Green Day? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know they were, they're obviously, you know, they they obviously knew what they were doing. They were very controlled in their in their music outlet, and I don't know, you know, I don't, no, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not resentful. No, I just but, wonder, yeah. wonder what you thought with it. Do you like that kind of music? No, <laughs> no not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. No, no. What, what, what are you into then, Chris? What, what, what do you support? Um, I like, you know, I like sort of, um, yeah, what sort of music I'm into? That's a very interesting question. Uh, I'd say like anything that is disordinant, like I don't like melody, I don't like um, anything that's sort of like, you know, repetitive. I don't. I don't I like a lot of like volcanic music. I like a bit I like a lot of like music that's from like Persia or from Iran, Iraq, that sort of music. Um that is like a bit weird that doesn't it, you know, I don't I don't like that sing along chant sort of like football stuff. I don't like that. So I like anything that's a bit dissonance that's a bit weird that's a bit that just takes you off guard i like that you know i like do you like, recommend any albums to us no 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 I, I mean i like uh i mean one of my favorite bits of music lately has been the um you know they do the uh the you know the whirling dervishes the the hands like one hand to the earth, one hand to the moon, and then they like whirl around. It's like Turkish music. I, I love that. It's brilliant, and I recommend you look for that on the internet. It's absolutely fantastic. You don't sit down on a Sunday night and listen to the top forty, then? No, 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 I don't. No, obviously not. No. Oh God, no! Fuck off! <laughs> 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 and the, 
What, the sort of English top 40? No, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything worse. Well, that's good. <laughs> we'll, we'll carry on the podcast then. No. I really like that sort of Persian sort of like, I mean, there's a, there's a thing, you know, the um, there's a guy called Upeski uh, who was like, he was like, he did a whole book about the search of like, man in the search of meaning through music and you know he went to like uzbekistan and all these really weird countries and sat there and you know they did like things like the competition that who can make the mountain vibrate and they'd and they'd sit in a you know in this like valley and they you know whoever can make the mountain vibrate would take the 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 prize which would be a, like a goat or something yeah oh, god <laughs> but are these guys fucking, on itunes that was fucking brilliant <laughs> that was fucking brilliant that was proper music you know who can make the mountain vibrate what brilliant what a brilliant objective out of music yeah no oh. music what is music for apart from to vibrate and to make us feel things and if, if music doesn't make us feel things, then why the fuck are we doing it? Yeah, why well, are we even listening to it? You know, mm. I used to do punk rock because I was angry. I was angry and I was frustrated and I was, and I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to express that anger. So I did it through punk rock. But if I was living in Uzbekistan, then I would do it through music as well. And I would make the mountain vibrate. I would make the fucking, I would make the world fucking hear what I'm trying to say. You know? Yeah, and, totally. And that's what they do. And it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, and this egocentric idea that Western fucking music is the best. I fucking... I hate music, Western music. I hate, I hate pop groups. And my friends will tell you that I often say that I hate music. And it's not true. I don't hate music. It's like, like making music is fucking brilliant. Making yeah. music is making, is making music form. together. Making music making together art in the music room, is, yeah. a, is an art form. And you can do that in a fucking mountain in in Uzbekistan. And it's equally valid as being in a wanky fucking pop group in the UK. Yeah. Talk about Uzbekistan. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there, but how far out have you got? Have you been to some, you know, very out there places around the world, Chris? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, Where have you, more, how far have you out got? There places, out there places have been more inside myself. <laughs> I mean, would you have put um, like disorder in with the the anarcho punk scene as well? Or? Um, I would, me personally, I would have, but we were never really accepted in the anarcho punk um, scene because I don't know, we weren't cool enough, we weren't, we didn't dress in the right way, we didn't talk the right way, we weren't, we weren't disorder. Were never cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like bands like Crass, 
and flux of bean to Indians and the They all mall. seemed a bit clicky. Well, they were like crappy. Like <laughs> yeah, of course, they were totally cakey. Yeah, disorder were never, re- we, you know, we were never accepted in part of that because we, yeah, as I said, because we never, we never dressed the right way, we never talked the right way, we never sang about the right things, and and I think you know, yeah, it's very difficult because you have to be very careful about what you say. You have to be very careful. And, you know, you never had to be careful about what you say. You could be quite outrageous and it was okay. But nowadays you have to be careful about what you say because you can get a lot of fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone nowadays, the internet and everything, I think everyone's more opinionated and it's everyone's either extreme left or extreme right now. Mm. And that's what I feel. And um, it causes a lot of trouble. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think that, that that sort of extreme left and extreme right becomes blurred. Yeah. In a, a sort of moralistic stance, uh, um, you know, I can be extremely moralistic in one way and also extremely moralistic in the other way. I mean, I, I saw a, you know, there was an article recently in the in the Guardian, which is like fucking a new a, a, a newspaper that drives me fucking nuts with their like absolute bollocks that they write but they're talking about whether cycling is extreme you know whether that is like structurally um racist in the fact that there's not many cyclists well you know maybe there's just maybe there's just not a lot of interest in cyclism by black people i don't i don't know whether it's like is it structurally exclusive or just Maybe black people just don't want to ride a bike. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't think that. I don't. You know, I don't think that like teams like Sky or Ineos, what they're called nowadays. I don't think like if like some really good like black cyclist would come along and say, you know, oh, they're not going to exclude him. Oh no, we don't. No, he's black. You know, it's just just that it's just not that many like black cyclists i don't you know is does that mean that it's like cycling is it's is excluent does what it you're saying, what you, does it exclude you, like black people I, what I you're getting at chris is that did they need to write that article is it's just it's fucking mad it's just a fucking ridiculous article it's just a fucking stupid article desperate to write something aren't they if they're writing that exactly you know what the i mean really do they think that you know do they think that circling teams are really like they're gonna exclude people because they're because of their race I mean, really? I mean, are, fuck off. They're clutching at straws, isn't they? They are cl- they're clutching at straws. Exactly. With, with, with that exactly. article, they are clutching at straws. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just oh, fucking God. ridiculous, you know. Now, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that structural relations, structural racism doesn't exist. It does. Of course it exists. But, you know, really, I mean, for fuck's sake. Uh, Chris, um... If, if we were allowed to mention the Sex Pistols... Of course. Was you into them? Was the Sawder into them? Obviously, the, from the best, you know, 70s albums and stuff, but inspired by them? Any thoughts on them at all? 
uh, ever meet meet them? Did you? I mean, no. Oh, yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> I, never, I never. I never met them. I never met them. Was I inspired by them? Of course, obviously. Fucking hell, who wasn't inspired by the Sex Pistols? I mean, you know. I mean that. You know, never mind the bollocks. Was fucking just an amazingly produced album that was just absolutely brilliant at the time. Yeah, things like God Save the Queen. Yeah, the 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 single that came out in 1977, God Save the Queen, was just fucking. It was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's, it's still yeah. brilliant now, isn't it? Of course, I was absolutely <laughs> amazingly influenced by that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. All, all the guys in Disorder were influenced by that. They it was like they love, you know, they loved that album as well. I think, of course, I, th- I think, of course, we were. Um, yeah, but then again, but I was like, you know, I mean, I was twelve years old when that record came out. And yeah. Then I got into other things. I get. I. I mean, I got into music by, like Hawkwind. That they were one of my main main influences. And that would have been with Lemmy when Lemmy was in the band. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Steve Hillage. Um, the. Uh, what were they called? Fucking hothead pixies. I can't. Gong. I mean, I was, into, I was just like into smoking dope and getting out of my head and taking mushrooms. I was into all that sort of, you know, I was into all that mad stuff. And there was a, there was a band called Gong with Steve Hillage, who was the guitar player. And, you know, I was into all that sort of stuff. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I was into like, I mean, 1977, I was, I was 12 years old. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I was 12 years old. You I mean, found I it, into, you found it later on. And then, yeah, I mean, I was into, I was into, you know, I mean, I really like, at 12 years old, I really liked The Stranglers, I really liked The Sex Pistols, I really liked, uh, and then I really liked, um, what was her name, Polystyrene. X-Ray Specs. X-Ray Specs, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and and then there was like um, the Bristol punk scene, which was like, you know, the, the, the pop group and you know and I was like sort of 12 13 years old I was into yeah. all that sort of stuff and then I sort of got out of it I was more into like Hawkwind smoking dope yeah and and then I got back in and then when I was about 15 16 then I got back into like sort of more hardcore sort of stuff like yeah. NFX um but you know um black black flag you know, more sort of the hardcore sort of stuff. Oh, like, like know, the American side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you then never get that, seen in those American bands, Chris. Yeah, and that's when sort of like Crash started coming out. And there was Crash, Flux of Big Indians, uh, all that sort of like, you know, sort of, you know. Conflict stuff. Sort of anarcho punk wave. And I started getting to all that. So, you know, and that's when I started getting, oh, fucking hell, let's do Let's get a band together. Yeah. <laughs> and when you was um, writing your lyrics and stuff for for the disorders, did you just? It was just pure your cue, sort of ang- anger at the time, come just coming down on, in your lyrics. Is that is that what it was? Taking out your anger on your, on your lyrics. Just, Certainly, it was all yeah, violence. It was all violence, violence, and it was like. Ret- it was like sort of reactive, 
it was all violent. I mean, everything in those days was violence. It was violence, violence, violence. Because disorder had a really like, chaotic sound, I thought, as well. <laughs> yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was right up my street. <laughs> <laughs> he likes a bit of chaos. <laughs> that, wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't intentional. I mean, we did that. We did like, we had like a chaotic sound for years and years. And then we, we went to do this album, the, the Under the Scalpel Blade album, which was like, it, that was going to be our, you know, our masterpiece of, you know, our. <laughs> thing that we would leave to humanity which would be our thing like, you know mental illness that was our thing mentally you know we were disorder and our thing was mental illness and we were going to leave this and it just fucking went i don't know what the fuck happened but it was just a terrible sound you know it <laughs> just sounded like oh, it just fucking just sounded like it was recorded in a baked bean tin. I don't know what the fuck. Sounds great, it sort of like influenced so many bands and like like a scene after. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like the D beat stuff. It's like uh, like chaos, not music sort of slogans and things like that. And it's all sort of stems around that sort of album and onwards. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Amoebics were, you know, Amoebics were our mates, you know, they were, we lived in, we all lived in, you know, it was all a bit of, it was a bit like sort of, um, you know, it was all a bit fucking, what do they call that, you know, you know, everyone's shagging each other, it was all a bit fucking, <laughs> yeah, it was all a bit incestuous, you know, there was like, exactly, you know, there was Disorder, there was Amoebics, there was like Chaos UK, it was all a bit fucking, and then, you know, and then all the groups like, you know, um, you know, what are they called, fucking Massive Attack, Massive Attack and Tricky and all that started to come out of that sort of scene, yeah, yeah. right? It was all, but it was all really incestuous. We were all really sort of like, we are all really related to each other, you know. There was nothing that Disorder did that, Tricky didn't do, or there was nothing that Disorder did that Massive Attack didn't do. You know, we're all we're all related. You know, we're all like massively linked to each other, which was you know, which was good. You know, it was it was it. You felt part of the Bristol scene. We were the Bristol scene. You know, yeah, and that was good. You know, and that was good. No, I always thought like that early punk Bristol scene was fantastic. A lot of influential yeah. records come out of that, and the bands. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but then later we, you know, yeah, Porter's Head, and like Tricky, Massive Attack. They all, and you know, we were part of that. We were, you know, we were, we were the, we were the origins of that. Yeah. But even like, um, like the Piss Take Band, Carrot Disco. Uh, <laughs> I, I love them. Carrot <laughs> Disco. <laughs> they were cunts. They were like um that was um well, it, like, the vice that was like that was part of Vice Squad. I yeah. mean they were fucking idiots. They were they were, I mean they were pissed off because they were like a, they thought of themselves as a proper serious punk band. And we were like, you know, ah oh, we'll just like fuck it, we'll just play as fast as we can. And they got really pissed off, so they started like chaotic <laughs> discord. <laughs> was, and they thought they would take the piss out of us, 
but they actually became quite popular in their yeah. own. So like, they became actually quite like you know like quite good and uh so yeah well anyway yeah because yeah, i was like well, well i think that's them sort of bands where it's sort of coined as cider punks because yeah. like, <laughs> i mean they became they, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they became a parody of the moon selves i mean you know it was like you know they became a parody of themselves it was like they were basically they were basically vice squad yeah know, yeah, yeah vice squad yeah, like with the roadies and bits and pe- people. Like yeah, that. yeah, they were basically a bike squad, and and you know they, they were just having a laugh and just taking the piss out of hardcore punk and just yeah, and just they were just lads, you know what the fuck, you know. Who yeah, it seems yeah. a great laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were just having a laugh, you know. Chris, let me ask you this: if um, if you hadn't passed that interview that day for disorder, do you think your life would be much different now? <laughs> No, no. I mean, I was always, I was always linked to disorder because I, you know, I lived with disorder for. I mean, I lived disorder. I think disorder was a way of life, and I don't think you could have been the, you couldn't have been the disorder singer unless you lived the disorder life. And I lived, and I lived and breathed disorder for ten years, and I don't think many people could actually have done that because mm. it's not you know living and breathing disorder for 10 years was fucking hard work i mean it was you know it was like yeah it was hard work it was you know it was like emotional breakdowns it was like in you know it was like drugs it was like living in a van for years on end it was it was hard work. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't just, you couldn't just be, oh, right, I'm going to be the singer of disorder. No, you had to live the disorder lifestyle. And, and, and I did that. And I did that for 10 years. And it mm. was fucking hard. <laughs> and, what made you leave? What made you leave? Was it um, just a case of you felt like you'd taken it as far as you wanted to? Uh, I don't think it was it was a fact that I took it as far as I wanted to. I think it was a fact that I took it as far as I could. Right. I mean, I, I remember as you know, I was in. We were trying to record a, a record in in Holland, and I was in Amsterdam, and I wouldn't fucking move because I had like heroin, I had like crack, cocaine, and I had everything that I wanted to have, and they had to come and get me. And as you literally come, someone had to come and get me and drag me out of Holland and take me away from Amsterdam. Physically family. drag you out of Holland. Oh, yeah, yeah, because uh, you know, I was just you know, I was just like mad. I was like off my head. I was like 19 years old and I was a fucking lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you mellowed out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. No, I, I don't think I'm, you know, if I think of like the people that I that I was with, then I think out of all of us, probably twenty percent of us are still alive. Mm, really? I mean, that was that eighty percent of us are dead. Yeah, that chaotic. Died or have te- have had some sort of like major sort of psychological disorder 
and I think you know there's probably 20 of 20 percent of us that are still alive and mm. and I think you know so yeah yeah I mean after you left this order did you dip in and out of the punk scene after all no, I had absolutely nothing to do with the punk scene whatsoever. I mean, I was in prison for seven and a half years. So, you know, I went to, I went, I was arrested in Spain and I was in prison in Spain for seven and a half years. So I, when I came out of Spain, you know, when I came out of prison in Spain, I had absolutely, absolutely nothing to do with the punk scene whatsoever. Yeah. I didn't know anything about the punk scene or whatever. I mean, I got into music through, uh, I used to play the trumpet and I played in this like sort of like um, it was like a squat that we had and we used to play like sort of music for like young kids so it was like a squat but we'd have like teachers that would come in and teach the kids how to play like teach them like solfeo you know music notes notations and teach young kids have to play music basically you know and uh and that's how i started really i mean that's how i really started getting into music i mean i didn't know anything about music before i was in disorder i didn't know anything about music so i started getting into music through that really and just like teaching kids how to like blow a note out of a trumpet and things like that and that's what really started to sort of like, oh you know this music is really therapeutic in that case and that you know we can take like working class kids who've got no fucking future and we can begin to you know teach them like about music about dedication about therapy about repetition about practicing every month about you know just about shit about what it means to be a person yeah yeah that's good so you never actually intended to live in spain that that just happened because of um, I never intend. I never intended to live in Spain because you know I've got two kids in the UK, so I always intended to go back to live in the UK because you know my kids are the the things that I love the most. Uh, but unfortunately, they're yeah the, the things that are the furthest away from me at the moment. Um, but I never wanted to go back to the UK because the only thing that I knew in the UK, the only people that I knew here were bank robbers or drug dealers or. You know, I just didn't want to, you know, I just didn't, I didn't need to go back to that shit. Yeah, and, yeah. and I knew that if I went back to the UK, I'd just be robbing banks within two months. I'd be like holding up post offices. I'd be, and I just didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. No, after disorder, oh, my past. after disorder, it became, um, you just started doing the wrong things and that's how you end up getting arrested in spain and it kind of went wrong there is that it just led on from that the chaos of that did it the, yeah the music stopped and then it was just well look, you know needs I've, must I've, sort of thing i've always thought i've always been a bank robber that is my i mean you know when people say what is your i'm a, I'm a bank robber i'm a robber i'm a thief i'm a fucking robber and I will rob you, but I'm, you know, but I'm changing. I've become a different person. And I've become a different person through knowing myself and through understanding what my fucking, what my desires are and what my needs are. And I've become a, I've become a different person. 
yeah. my basic from my basics i'm a fucking bank robber and i rob you and i'm a thief and i'm thievery and i'm thievery and i'm into all that sort of stuff like you know that that's that was what you used to do and then obviously you that's what i used to do and that's what you I kind still of do when you given, was... given the opportunity i will be a thief and i'll rob you and i'll steal from you and i will like take everything out of you and i'll be really egoistical and i have to continually look at myself and i have to continually work on myself and go no you know fucking don't be a cunt you know that's the world it, that's what... need more cunts the world needs less cunts <laughs> that's less right. and that's what i need to fucking work on and but i that... need to work on being less of a cunt and not that's more your blueprint cunt. from obviously living in that scene no, and that's exactly. how you get into it and that's your blueprint and you kind of broke that by being in jail and thinking about well, that's it that's what i tried to happened. do that that is my that is my like my program for living is that yeah. I, I don't want to be a cunt or you know I, you know i was a cunt for a long time i was an egocentric yeah. cunt drug dealer drug taker cunt that i wouldn't give a fuck about anybody or anything was and it was it, it just wasn't, got you it arrested wasn't a, in madrid was it chris I was arrested in Madrid. I was, a, well, was, a, I was arrested in. I was arrested in uh, in Catalonia, trying to go to Germany with like eleven kilos of cocaine <laughs> in my in my pocket. Yeah, that will get you inside. Wow, Chris. So, can, just just while we're on the subject of that, if, if you don't mind me asking, obviously we can edit this out, Chris. But what did you think on your first day in jail? Did, right. What did, well, what 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 did you actually was, think? Okay. <laughs> if you don't, well, mind. let me let me tell you that when I get back from my piss. Go for it. Sorry. Hello. Hello. Yeah, we're still there. Don't lose it. Yes, so Chris. So there was a question. Back from our ad break, we haven't got any ads, so uh, yeah, first <laughs> first first day in jail in Madrid, if you don't mind. So coming out of prison, you mean? What was it like? No, no, day saying? day one, the first day you went in. What what did you think? What? Oh, right, day one when I went in. Oh yeah. god. Right. Well, um, I think sort of like there was a sort of mixture of relief and frustration. I would say frustration in the fact that, well, you can't do what you want to do, but also relief in the fact that, thank fuck, um, nobody's going to try and kill me right now. Uh, yeah, um, maybe, yeah, it probably was relief, wasn't there? Because you knew it was over then. That's it. Well, you, you suppose you thought you're out of it then, aren't you? You're completely. I mean, I, I owe a lot of money to a lot of people, and you could, you know, that was sort of like 
that was it. You couldn't do anything. Yeah. So a mixture of relief and frustration. Yeah. But the, exactly. but the did the frustration carry on or did you just in find a bit of inner calm and think, actually I'm pretty safe in here now? Or would you feel unsafe? No, I would say for the first few years I was I continued to be the same idiot that I was before. Oh. In the fact that I used to run a lottery in the prison where you know it was like a sort of like it was like numbers. I used to run numbers in the prison and uh, I used to run a lot of money and I used to win, earn a lot of money in the prison through different sort of like, I was fucking, I was the same idiot in the prison as I was outside the prison. I was like, you know, the same idiot. I was like, I make a lot of money in the prison, right. earn, you know, but you know, I'd have to sort of like, I mean, I used to run a, I used to run a lottery, which was like, uh, so the lottery was like, you couldn't buy it with you had to buy it with stamps so the stamps would be and then the stamps i would change for the stamps for cigarettes and the cigarettes i'd change for telephone cards and it, and it was just like a continual fucking and i and i thought what the fuck am i doing what the fuck am i doing i'm doing the same fucking shit same hustle inside prison as i was doing outside just running like a fucking idiot just and I thought, right now, fuck it. I'm just gonna stop doing everything. I don't care. I was. This came because we used to we in one of the prisons. We forged all the money. The money used to be in like like plastic cards. So we forged the money, and we sent it out. This French guy and the French guy had sent all the the money in, and it and it was like slightly wrong and suddenly we were buying all the drugs with all the Ford cards because we were, we were the main drug dealers in the prison <laughs> and, and, and the money was slightly it was just slightly wrong it was and it all came on top and we almost got fucking I mean I would have got like 20 years more if I got caught really yeah, you're falsifying money inside the prison. It was like fucking, and we had to just throw fucking like thousands and thousands of euros away, like because it was just like it was just on top. And it was like yeah, it was like French Marseille French mafia guy. It was like just just slightly fucking wrong. Uh, so it. And that's when I just said, like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? What the fuck? Yeah, really? And I just said, fuck this. I'm just fucking, I don't care. I'm just fucking gonna, I'm gonna stop the, I'm gonna just gonna change. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a fucking idiot anymore. Fucking, what am I doing? Fucking trying to make fucking, yeah. 200 euros out of some stupid fucking I'm risking like you know years of my life in imprisonment yeah. for for fucking bollocks was, was it easy was to just serious. was it easy to just stop and just sit back no and no no it wasn't easy it wasn't easy at all Why? No. I mean, I was fucking bang on the spot. And I remember that, you know, I was living with this French guy and he was like smoking smack every day and I was like no I don't <laughs> 
I know I'm not. I'm just not doing it. No, fuck you. And he was like, every day, no, go on, have some smack. And I go, no, I don't want, I don't want any. Ah, fuck. Yeah. And it's like week after week after day after day. And then finally, this psychologist from the prison phoned me and he, and he came and he said, oh, I've been watching you and you're, you know, I see that you really, you know, it seems like you really want to change. I said, what I do? I'm fucking, you know, I don't know what else to do. I'm just fucking, you know, I'm just fucking here. Just fucking, you know, I've been a drag addict all my fucking life since I was 13 years old. And I don't know what else to do. Uh, and I'm here in a fucking prison in another country. And it would just be really easy for me just to keep fucking smoking smack. But I don't want to. I don't. I want to. I want to stop. I want to change. I want to. Fa- and this psychologist, this fucking brilliant geezer, he said, "Right, I fucking. I'm getting emotional now. Just thinking about this guy because he was like, he obviously he helped, fucking, didn't he? he fucking, he's the one that pulled you out of it. He was the one that just said, "Right, okay, I'm gonna take you on." And he started getting me into running, and you know, just like other shit, you know, and just other stuff. And he really like, you know, and I came out and I fucking changed and completely changed. And he was the one that he he was the one that, you know, you can do this, you can do this, you can, you know, you don't have to be a fucking cunt for the rest of your life. You know, you can you know and you, you can you just you, you finally got out and you was like gonna stay yeah. in Spain and yeah, yeah I mean, it was a, it was the typical it was the typical, normal, it was the typical sort of like oh you know it's it's very typical I mean it's very you know I found freedom inside prison and I did I did you know and I did it was like you know very sort of profound in that sense and in the fact that I found you know my freedom I found that within yeah. a fucking it's, prison. It's interesting that you you found it a, a relief be locked up natural yeah. relief and that's and that that's why you're probably talking to us now because he was actually yeah a, a good well, it wasn't it wasn't just me as well as I, I remember phoning i remember speaking to my mother i phoned my mother and i said oh i'm in prison and she said thank thank god thank god you're in prison she probably i said no one's gonna no one's gonna kill you you get three months a day you're gonna yeah, yeah, no. It's, to get into the state you was in to, to actually find prison and relief, mm. quite remarkable. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like you say, you found someone in there who believed in you, and that's what it took. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's what. It, and and then when when I found someone who believed in me, I was fucking just grabbed hold of this 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 guy, you know, Jose Maria, his name was, who was uh, who was a psychologist in the prison, and you know. He was just an amazing guy. Just like, you know, he believed, he really believed in people. He used to like, you know, he, he used to take us out of the prison and run and we'd run like 10 kilometer runs and things like that. And then it was, I'm getting all emotional when I think about it, but he was amazing. It was absolutely amazing guy. You know, and I really, you know, and I hope, you know, I hope I can be the same. You know, it gives me like an inspiration to live up to. I hope I can fucking, that I can live up to that. That's you know, absolutely that. brilliant. I, I hope I can live up to that, you know, that I can just give, 
you know, I, you know, I mean, it's taken me, it's taken me 20 years, eh? but now I'm a, now I am a psychologist and I work in the prison. It, it's taken me 20 years of studying. That's amazing. Years of like yeah, hard giving, work, hard labor, as they say, you know, and then and I now work as I am a psychologist in a prison. Mm. You're helping people. That is one of those stories. Yeah. Isn't it? You know, yeah. the ones you read about, yeah. not in the garden. My only hope is that I can, you know, that I can do that. I can, that I can have the same impact as, yeah. as, as this guy had you know, on my life, you know. Mm. Right. Oh, it's fantastic. So yeah. this, this line, that, that's absolutely brilliant. Thanks for sharing it with us. And all of your stories have been amazing. Hobo will always finish with his final question. Can I just ask one question? Yes, you can. Of course. <laughs> if Taff bung you up and said, look, Chris, I've got the heyday lineup for one, for a one-off special, would you be up for that? Absolutely, of course. I oh, there we go. There <laughs> we go. Taff is Taff is my mate. Taff is my you know. I, I don't have any resentment towards Taff whatsoever. Taff is my mate. Taff is my you know. He was Taff has always been there. You know, Taff has been Taff is a proper punk rocker. You know, he's always been he's always been there, and he always will be there. And he's just got one belief, and that is to you know present his music to you know whoever will listen to it and i always listen to taff and taff is a fantastic person if taff says oh i want you to come and join the band and we'll do a reunion oh that'd be amazing what's the tap tap <laughs> what a gig that would be. Yeah, that would be something else. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. So, Chris, one last question. What is your favourite album or artist of all time? Oh, Jesus, right. Well, that's Big a, that is a difficult question because that changes quite often. Hmm. I mean, I would say from, if, if we could say from that time, I would say like probably Discharge, a Discharge album because uh, they were the, probably one of the most influential bands of me at that time, um, or Crass, maybe. But, you know, but again, you know, that changes. That changes. I mean, Jesus, the most influential album of all time, I would say, would probably be Minor Threat. Uh, one, of the, one of the records from Minor Threat. Mm. Uh, the first album it, from yeah. Minor Threat. Yeah, that was probably the most influential albums. Maybe um, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. For the, uh, I mean, I'd say that's Of course, obviously. The Feeding of the 5,000. But I mean, uh, the, the, I agree with you on the minor threat. It was one of my big influences for me growing up and for my musical style. Even though I wasn't part of that straight edge thing, the, no. the music was just like raw and fast. That's what, that's what I wanted. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were just fucking brilliant musically, just technically. You know, it was fucking yeah. brilliant listening. To, it was a privilege listening to them, even though you didn't agree with like, you know, that, that sort of like, you know, that straight edge, 
philosophy that they had, but just the music was just fucking oh, it was brilliant. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it, Minor Threat. Mm. This is favorite inspirational band of all time. Now, Chris Good Neil, you have been superb. It's been such a great chat, hasn't it, guys? <laughs> Hobo, um, <laughs> looking album. We we know we've loved it. We've loved chatting to you, hearing all the stories, and they have been brilliant stories. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's plenty more. There's plenty more stories. <laughs> well, that's coming in part two. Then, yeah, we do, we, we do that next time. Yeah. We'll do another okay. one. But brilliant. Stuff. Great to talk to you, Chris. Yeah, fantastic. Legend. That's great stuff. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thanks, guys.